Are you ready for the, the Word of God? Um, as you know, we're in 2 Peter, and uh, really excited just for what we're going to see today um, as we share. So let's read. Let's get straight into it. Um, we can just put the scriptures up there. We're going to start at verse 1, but we're going to be focusing on towards the end of this particular chapter today. But I just want to start in verse 1. Um, it's always good to just hear God's Word and remind ourselves of what we've been hearing. Uh, God's Word is life. It really is and truly is life to us. So let's read verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the part of this passage that we've already looked at. I just want to remind you quickly of what we've learned from these verses over the past few weeks. Uh, there's three things, and maybe we could just put them up. There they are. The first one is what God has given us and why. So we saw that in verses 1 to 4. He's given us this priceless treasure of knowing Him. And we talked about that. And then through that knowledge, it says His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Isn't that an incredible statement? I don't know whether you wake up in the morning and say, as you're facing your day, His divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness through my knowledge of Him. And you go out into the day in that understanding, with that confidence, that everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us, granted to us, through our knowledge of Him. But then it also talks about the fact that He's given us His great and precious promises. All the promises of Scripture. We heard them even today as um, uh, Liam and Kathy were sharing the, their, the verses that they brought to us. Those promises of Scripture that we have. 
And uh, the reason why God has given all of this to us is that we might partake in His divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world because of evil desires. God has such a wonderful plan for us. Just to th think about those words. Just try and wrap your head around God's plan for us. That we might partake in His nature and escape completely escape the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. That's God's plan for us. And so what must our response to His grace be? We mustn't be content with the fact that we just have faith. In other words, what we see Peter saying here to us is don't come to Christ and then just rest on your laurels. We need to be making every effort to add these virtues that he lists here to our faith. And what will this response, as we do this, what will it bring about in our lives? Well, Peter tells us, and we can put it up if you can just move up the next one. I'm not sure where you're working from today. Oh, there you are. Um, this is what we'll get from that kind of response. This will be the benefit that accrues to us. Our lives will be effective and fruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll not become short-sighted and lose our way. In other words, we'll not end up living like we haven't even been saved. We will never fall. We'll never become a casualty along the road of life. And then lastly, it says we will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure I can hear just from the amens that this is exactly what every single one of us wants. And the amazing thing is that if you look at this passage that we've just read, Peter gives us in this passage foolproof instructions that if we will follow them, this is what we will obtain. He's giving us, we could almost say, a recipe that if we put into practice in our lives, if we follow it, this, is, this will be the outcome. I tell you, I look at it and I think to myself, how can we not follow it when we look at what he says this will bring into our lives? And so having these qualities that he, he's listed here should be something that we desire in increasing measure and something that we are pursuing. And so I ask the question today, could, could you say that about yourself, that you are pursuing these things to be an ever increasing in your life? What were the things? Virtue, godliness, self-control, knowledge, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of His Word, the knowledge of His promises, of His plan for our lives. All these things that we read about there, brotherly love, love itself. Are we pursuing these things? If we, when we look at the world, what is the world pursuing? The world is focused on maybe its riches, maybe its fame, maybe its success, having a great name, having the praise of people. You know, the world is seeking all these kind of things, running after a feeling or a sense of self-worth. There's so many things that people are seeking in life. But look at what Peter says we as God's children should be seeking. We should be seeking the things that he's listed right here. Because, you know, the things that the world is seeking may bring pleasure. They may bring some happiness. They may bring a sense of self-worth to us. But in the end, 
it's going to amount to nothing. But when we seek what he's put here, what he's written down here, look at the benefits. That's what it's going to result in. The final benefit, a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we step into glory and there are the myriads of angels and there is the throne of God and the Lamb and He welcomes us in to that glory. He receives us with open arms and we receive the praise of God. That's what we should be seeking. To hear Him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we spend eternity, look, the word eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forever in that kingdom. Isn't that going to be incredible? And so this is what we're seeking as God's people. This is what God has called us into. And this is what we should be pursuing. Let's continue into verses 12 and 15 now. He says, Peter says, Therefore, in the light of all of this, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, of these things, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Can we see just how seriously Peter viewed these things that he's writing in this letter? These are his last words. He's about to die. And this letter is the legacy that this great apostle, who laid down his life in service of the Lord Jesus Christ, wanted to leave for us. And so he wrote this letter because he saw the need for every generation, for people in every generation to be constantly reminded of the things that he's been writing. And he saw the need for us, even us who have walked in the Lord for many years, to be stirred up. Why? So that we will take the matters of God seriously. He knew, Peter knew, by the Holy Spirit, he knew that in subsequent generations, the scriptures and the gospel would be attacked, would be demeaned and would be cast aside just like it is today. And he knew that what he had shared was in actual fact the truth. And so let's just read on in verse 16 into 19 and let's talk a little bit about this. Why did Peter write this letter? What was he foreseeing by the Spirit? And this is what he says in verse 16. For we, that's Peter and the other apostles, did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We, that's Peter, James and John he's talking about here, ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with Him on the holy mountain. He's talking about the transfiguration. The time when Jesus was transfigured before these three disciples of His. Verse 19. And we, 
have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. You see, Peter, as he was coming to the end of his life, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he foresaw what we are experiencing in our generation today. He foresaw people saying that the Bible is just a myth, that it's just a fable, that it's just the concoction of primitive minds who didn't really know any better. Do you know that that's a common line out there today of what people say about this book? And Peter, 2,000 years ago nearly, by the Spirit of God, as he looked ahead to the, the subsequent generations of believers, he saw that this would happen. And so he writes these words for us. What does he tell us? He tells us four things about the gospel here. Maybe we could just put those up. Thanks, Liam. It is not a myth. It is not mysticism. It is not a deception. Rather, it is the confirmation of all God has said through his prophets from the beginning of time. That's what he says in this passage we've just read. You know, the Bible's not like the Greek myths. The gospel's not like the Greek myths, which have no historical significance whatsoever. It's not like, you know, the myth of uh, Prometheus, who gave fire to mankind, according to the myth. And when Zeus found out about it, he was so jealous that he had Prometheus chained to a rock in the Adriatic Sea, and he had vultures peck out his liver. The Bible's not like that kind of myth. It's not like Pandora who opened her little box and out came all the evils of the world. Or Medusa who had golden hair and fell in love with Poseidon. And so Athena cursed her and where her hair had been golden snakes came out. That's myth. There's no historical significance to it. It's just the stories of people. It's myths. It's fables. But when we look at the Bible, we don't see that. This is, not a, this is not myth. This has great historical significance. This book is historical. People will go back to this book to find out what has taken place in history in all those generations ago. This is historically verifiable. And we can see it even in our lives today. The world is the way it is because of things that took place that are recorded in this book. This is not a myth. It's not like so many other religions. The gospel is not like so many other religions which are based on mysticism. You know, I can think of religions where some man goes away into a wilderness somewhere and he sits in a cave for too long and comes back and says, while I was in this cave, I had a dream, I had a vision, I had a visitation and this was said to me and this was said to me. There's no proof. He was there all alone, but he comes back and starts coming up with all these stories that have no veri verification whatsoever. Stories of how an angel came and brought this book to me, but the, the, when these golden tablets to me, but the golden tablets have never been seen. The Bible's not like that at all. This faith that we hold is something that talks about Jesus. Coming in the very flesh. He was seen by many. We'll talk about it a little bit more. It's not some sort of clever deception. 
that the apostles devised to make themselves rich. You know, people have accused the apostles and said, you know, they just did this because it was a personal agenda that they had. And so they came up with this whole story about Jesus' resurrection. But when you think about it, even though many people have tried to turn the gospel into a scam, which incidentally Peter talks about in this letter, we're going to get to it in chapter 2, and he condemns the apostles never shared this gospel for personal gain. Just think about them. What did the apostles get from traveling around the Middle East preaching this message? What did they gain personally from it? What did they gain in this life from it? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 to 13, Paul describes what the apostles got for doing what they did. This is what he said, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Why would people give their lives for something like that if what they were sharing was not something they knew? was the truth. You know, there's been many scams, many con artists, but none of them have done it to get that. And this is what Peter is saying. Just think about him. Here he is writing this letter from prison in Rome, chained in prison, facing death. He lives at the time of the emperor Nero. Around 65 AD in that region. Christians are being taken by Nero, strung up on poles, covered in tar, and set alight to give light to Nero's guests as they walk down the path to his palace. Peter is in prison at this time. He knows he's going to die. And he knows the kind of death he's going to die because the Lord Jesus told him. And church tradition tells us that Peter was crucified just like the Lord was. But rather than being crucified like the Lord was this way, he said, I cannot be crucified the way the Lord, my Lord was. And so he said, do it upside down. He was crucified upside down under Nero. Here's this man in his last days. And look at what he says. What we told you is not a myth. What we've given our lives for is not some cleverly made up scam. What we have told you is what we saw. It's what we witnessed. As he says here, we were with him on the holy mountain. We saw his majesty. We heard the voice come from heaven. 
They weren't making this up. The reason they were prepared to go through everything they went through and suffer the way that they suffered and die the way they died is because they knew that what they were sharing with the world was the truth of the Word of God. They were not dreaming when they saw Jesus transfigured before them. They were not in some trance. They were not in some altered state of consciousness. They saw His majesty with their very eyes as He was transfigured, as His clothes became whiter than the sun, whiter than the lightning. They heard the voice of God come from heaven with their very ears. It wasn't something they dreamt about or some vision that they saw in the dark of night. You see, what the apostles tell us and what this book tells us is historical fact. There's nothing mystical about it. There's nothing mythological about it. There's nothing that's been made up in the imaginations of men. Jesus' birth, His life, His miracles, His teaching, His death, His resurrection, His ascension into heaven are all historical facts. There's nothing fictional about it. And this is why the Apostle John wrote this in John chapter 1 verse 14. He said, and the Word, the Logos, the Creator, Jesus Christ, became flesh. He became flesh and He dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. We've seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As I said earlier, Jesus was not some apparition that they saw on a dark and gloomy night. He was not someone that only the apostles saw and heard and spoke to. He was seen by a nation. He was seen by the world. He was touched. He was a real person whose life history we have a record of so that we can read and know. He was like no other person that has ever lived. He did what no other person has ever done. He spoke like no other person has ever spoken. And he had more impact on the world than any other person that has ever lived. Even though he only lived for 33 years, he never wrote a book. He never founded a university. He never built a great building. He never won a great war. He never had great wealth. He never ruled an empire or a kingdom or a nation. He was just a common man. And yet he was the son of God. As it says, Peter said, we heard this voice come from heaven and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's who Jesus Christ is. He's the one that God spoke about through the prophets from the very beginning. Right back from the book of Genesis where we see God first announced to Satan that his son was going to come. And that he was going to crush Satan's head. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that were written down for us. Look at what he says here at the beginning of verse 19. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Isn't that incredible? You know, in the Old Testament, people were just looking at the prophecies. Today, we have a vision, a sight of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the prophecies. We can see what the prophets prophesied about in the flesh because He came. 
you know that in Jesus' birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, his ascension, do you know that he fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies? Prophecies that were made, some of them, thousands of years before he came. He fulfilled them exactly. And that's why when you look through the book of Matthew, you'll see Matthew write this. This was to fulfill what was said through the prophet. This was to fulfill what was said through the prophet. When we look at the Lord Jesus, we are seeing the fulfillment of all God's promises and all God's declarations and all God's plans and purposes that he's announced from the beginning of time. And this is what the gospel is. And this is what Peter and the apostles gave to us. The good news that what God promised through the prophets, He has fulfilled through sending His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel. This is the message that even we are to take to the world. What God promised through the prophets, He has fulfilled in sending His Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 19, He goes on to say this, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You see, not only did Peter say, this is not a myth. This is the absolute truth. He said, pay attention to it. Don't treat this book as some common book. You know, today, there are many people that will say things about this book. They say it's a good book. You know, there's good principles in here, great principles for life in here. But they fail to see that this is the very Word of God. He says, pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. I don't know if, how many of you have been to North America. I was there just last year. We went up to the state of Oregon. And in that state, they have those, you know, the fir trees, those coniferous forests. And we were staying with someone who goes, he hunts every year. He goes out and he hunts elk and, and things like that. And I just came to realize, you know, he would go into these mountains and he would walk in these mountains for days. And every tree looks the same. You know, here in the bush, there's a lot of different trees, but there it's just, they're all the same, basically. And it's so tall that you can't even see around you when you're in that forest. You can't even see where the mountains are. You can't see landmarks. And you know what can happen? People can go into that forest and they can just end up working in circles. They can get absolutely lost. And I was just thinking when I saw this, uh, Peter say this, pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. And the, the picture that came into my mind was, can you imagine somebody in a forest like that and he's lost his way? And the sun goes down and sets. And there he is in this forest. He doesn't know which is north, which is south. He's trying to work it all out. Everything looks the same. And as this, it gets dark, he sees a light just shining in the distance somewhere. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to begin walking towards that light. And he's not going to allow that light to be taken from his vision. He's going to keep his eyes on it and he's going to move towards that light until he gets to that place because he knows if he can get there, he's going to find civilization. And that's what Peter is saying here. That should be our attitude towards God's word. 
where we, we see it as the very beacon of our lives. The thing that will give us light. As it says in the Psalms, it's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And yet today, you know, so many of us, believers, Christians, this book, it stays on our shelf from Monday to Saturday. And when it comes to Sunday, we blow the dust off. We put it under our arm and we march into church. Are we paying attention to this? This is what Peter said, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And then he says this, we need to do this until the day dawns and the morning star arises in our hearts. How long do we need to do this? Well, the day dawning, you know what that speaks about? It talks about the coming of Jesus Christ. Other places in Scripture it says, the, the, let me just read it to you, Romans 13, 11 to 12. Paul says this, besides this, you know the time, and this was a scripture that Corky shared with us last week. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. He says we need to pay attention to what we've been told until the day dawns, until the Lord Jesus comes. We must never get to a place where we think, well, I've heard it all. We must never get to a place where we begin to treat it with familiarity because that breeds contempt. We must realize this is the living Word of God that God has given to us. Isn't that incredible that He would choose to give that to us? When it talks about the morning star arising in our hearts, what's that talking about? Well, naturally speaking, what is the morning star? It's that bright star that comes up just before dawn. It's Venus. But spiritually, it's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 22.16 says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. It's talking here about we need to pay attention to this book and to the words in it, until Christ is formed in us. Until His character, His love, His holiness, and His virtue just exude from every one of our pores. That's what God's plan for us is. Let's finish by just looking at verse 20 to 21. He says this, Do this, knowing this first of all, above everything, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. What does he mean by that? No prophecy of Scripture comes from a person's imagination, from his mind, or from his thoughts. Verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. If something that's called prophecy comes from the will of man, or from the thoughts of man, it's not prophecy. He says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you know what the picture is there? A yacht. A yacht on the lake. A yacht on the ocean. And that sail is put up. And the wind is blowing. And it fills that sail and drives that yacht along. That's how the scriptures came to us. Men had their sails up. And the Holy Spirit filled those sails and drove them along, giving them the message that we hold in our hands today. 
Every prophetic word, therefore, contained in the Scriptures is the Word of God. It's not the thoughts of man. It has been God-breathed. It's reality. It's truth. It's wisdom. It's revelation. Every prophetic word that we see in this book is going to be fulfilled. Every one of them. Not one of God's words will fall to the ground. The Lord Jesus said this. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. What we see happening in the world today is fulfilling scripture. It's happening right around us. I want to just leave a challenge with us today. Do you want to understand what's going on in the world? Look to the scriptures. Don't look to CNN, BBC, Sky News, or any of those other places. Sure, you can find out some things that are taking place, but do you want to understand why? Do you want to understand why things are happening in the Middle East like what's happening? We have to turn to the Scriptures. This is the light. This gives us understanding. This makes wise the simple. You want to understand what life is all about? Turn to this book. Turn to this book. You'll gain understanding. You want to know the truth and what it is? You don't have to look any further than this book. This is the truth. The Lord Jesus said, God's word is truth. I want to challenge you today. There's no other book like this in the entire world. And there never will be another. Just consider the evidence. Consider how this book has come to to be. Consider what it contains. This is the inspired word of God. And I want to ask you, how do you view the scriptures? Do you view them as myth? As fable? As a concoction of primitive people? A collection of people's ideas and views and opinions that might be wrong? Do you consider it just to be a book of wise words that contains some good life lessons? Or do you consider it to be the inerrant word of God? What place do the scriptures have in your life? Do you love God's word? Do you love to read it? Do you love to study it? Do you desire to understand it? Are you building your life around it and upon what it says? Can you truthfully say that you are doing what Peter has just exhorted us to do in this passage? Are you giving attention to it as to a light in a dark place? Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, we're just so privileged. We're so in awe that you would have chosen to speak and give us your thoughts and your words and reveal who you are and your ways and your plan for our lives the way that you have through what we call the Scriptures. Thank you for 
your apostle Peter, who even on his, in his last days as he's facing death, never backed down, never wavered, but confirmed that what he wrote and what every one of the apostles preached about the Lord Jesus Christ was truth. Help us to pay attention to your word as to a lamp, a light in a dark place. May your word be our life. May it be the source of us knowing you and understanding you. Thank you that you've given it to us. Oh Lord, keep us. Keep our hearts from being led astray. Keep our hearts from being taken away, captivated by all the things, all the pleasures, all the things that this life offers. Help us to always keep your word at the very center of our hearts, of our lives, of our meditation, of our thoughts, of our conversations. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.